Well, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. And um, <clears throat> I'd imagine this, the second half of this chapter is quite a well-known story. Um, where King Solomon threatens to chop a child in two. <laughs> or have the child chopped in two. And we'll see why in a minute. So let's, uh, let's come to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us uh, give us uh, wisdom as we seek to s- study this passage on wisdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's full of wisdom and uh, we can have it if we come to, uh, to you through your word and we can be changed and transformed and uh, we can trust you to, to do this great work in us of producing wisdom in us. And so as we study uh, this chapter, Help us to, to learn how to get wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the chapter begins, so Solomon has been established in, on the throne. He's dealt with his enemies in chapter 2. And now chapter 3 says, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord, and the wall round Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to uh, to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And Gibeon, the Lord, appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not, what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days." And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. 
Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one, woman's, the one woman said, O oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else in it with us in the house, only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I arose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. And the first said, No, the dead child is is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, One says, This is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, No, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two. And give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours, divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is the mother. And all Israel heard of the judgments that the king had rendered. And they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Amen. In the book of James, in the New Testament, uh, James writes in chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom... Uh, Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Uh, What a marvelous promise. This is an instruction that is given uh, to every Christian. And so it is possible for every single one of us to grow in wisdom. But there is a caveat to that. This is a wisdom that is obtained from God. Uh, he alone has all wisdom. And so we read uh, in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. He is the, he is the God of wisdom, therefore. And, the, and he is also the God who gives wisdom. He is able to... Par, uh, uh, what's the word? <laughs> Give wisdom. <laughs> impart, that's the word he is able to impart wisdom uh, to his people Uh, so and so Proverbs chapter 2 for example uh, exhorts his people to seek wisdom as though you are seeking silver or hidden treasures and then Proverbs 2 verse 6 says for the Lord gives wisdom Uh, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding so the Lord is wisdom itself And he is the source of wisdom that he can impart to his people. 
And so, in fact, the, the New Testament, in the New Testament, it becomes even clearer how we get this wisdom. Because in the, in the offer of the gospel, which is essentially the offer of Jesus Christ on our behalf, Jesus, Jesus Christ becomes many things to us. And so uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So this morning we thought about how he, he becomes our righteousness, given over to us. Similarly, through Christ, wisdom comes to us through Christ. Wisdom is ours in him. And we need to receive it from him and grow in it. And so the encouragement, therefore, is that if we seek wisdom from God, then it can be found from him if we truly come to him. So as we come to this passage, 1 Kings chapter 3, we have a man, Solomon, who has just ascended, ascended to the throne, dealt with all his enemies. Uh, after a period of turmoil and uncertainty, he's established on the throne. And he is asked by God in a dream as he's been making these uh, sacrifices to the Lord uh, what God should give him. And uh, Solomon's answer is in verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. And, And this request from Solomon pleases God uh, no end. And he promises to grant what he asks. If you look at verse 12, he says, Behold, I now do according to your word, says God. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before, and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days, and you will walk in my ways, and so on. The remainder of the chapter then, uh, after this interaction between God and Solomon in this dream, uh, recounts the first occasion when Solomon has to exercise wisdom. uh, When he has these two prostitutes coming into his presence, claiming to be, both claiming to be the mother of this baby. Of course, only one mother can be the mother. uh, But by his wisdom then, that Solomon is able to identify the mother and hand the baby to the, right, the correct person. And at the end of the chapter, we're told this, All Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Not, not Solomon's wisdom so much as God's wisdom working in him. God has given and imparted this wisdom to him. Well, this chapter, I think, throws up some lessons for us as Christian people eager to grow in wisdom. And uh, four things I think we can draw. I'm going to focus mainly on the, on the prayer in, and the interaction in 1 to 14. Um, and I think there are four lessons that we can draw from uh, how we ask God for these things. And then I want to make a final point about Solomon as the wise king and how he is relevant to us today and how he is relevant to us today. And that will be very brief. So five points this evening. And 
And, and the first is that we need to be encouraged and to remember the generosity of God. The generosity of God. So you look at, uh, uh, and that's, that's really just looking at verse 5, but I'll come to that in a second. Let me just remind you what Solomon is doing. Solomon uh, loves the Lord, verse, um, verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of David his father. And um, uh, incidentally, can I just say that in, in the first two verses, it sounds a bit strange that, uh, that normally the, the reference to high places in the Old Testament is a reference to idolatry. Uh, but actually, verse 3 uh, knocks that on the head in this particular case. Because clearly Solomon loves the Lord. So this, he is worshipping the Lord genuinely, uh, though he is doing it in high places. But uh, Solomon loved the Lord. And it shows us how he loved the Lord. He loved the Lord by seeking to do all that David told him to do. You may remember what David told him to do. Look back at chapter 2, verse 2. David says on his deathbed, or towards the end of his life, he says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, die. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his words that he spoke concerning me, uh, and so on. Uh, uh, Solomon is to do everything that David has instructed him to do. And that involves doing everything that God instructed him to do in his word. And uh, this is how true love for God is shown. Love is not just a feeling that you have inside. I feel love. This is how we talk in the 21st century uh, Western world. Love is all about how you feel about things. But in in the Bible, love for God is about absolute commitment uh, to the person that you're loving and doing all that God has told you to do. And that's how you express what true love is to God. And if you think that's an Old Testament way of thinking, uh, you need to make sense, therefore, of the way that Jesus speaks. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Even Jesus is asking for his disciples to obey him and to, in doing so to express their love for him. That's how you love Jesus. It's not a feeling about Jesus and all the blessings that he's given you and you just think, oh, I'm in such joy and all this of it. Joy is no use you know, if you're not doing anything in obedience to, to the Lord. You're deluded if you think you love God that way. You really don't. So do what God commands. Do what Jesus commands. And Solomon has that kind of love. A faithful, careful, obedient love to the Lord. And so it's at this point that uh, the Lord intervenes in a a remarkable way in the life of Solomon. And uh, he comes... I mean, I think it's just intriguing at this point that the Lord intervenes in his life. And that's actually what, the kind of thing that Jesus said. If you love me, what does he say? 
Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. There is something amazing that God, Jesus Christ, promises to do as we live in obedience to him. That manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can't tell you how that's going to work for you or for me. I don't expect anything uh, unusually miraculous. I mean, Solomon is a special person in the history of redemption. And you and I probably aren't. (laughs) We're special in the eternal sense that God has saved us. But uh, is God going to come to you in a dream or something? I, I don't know. But in some way or other... We need to take Jesus at his word and he he's going to make himself known to you somehow as you're in obedience to him. That's the great encouragement, the great promise of obedience. Um, and, uh, and so the Lord's question to Solomon, a very simple one, what shall I give you? What do you want, Solomon? Now that you're king, what, what do you want? What can I give you? And the Lord is open to any request that Solomon would want to make. And that offer of, the, of God tells us something marvelous about the generosity of God. That God is fundamentally generous and gracious. He's a giving God. He wants to give of his fullness to his people. He's so full of love that he's ready to give his faithful people what they ask for. Now, that might raise all kinds of questions for us. Um, How open-ended is this generosity? Um, Will he really give us everything that we ask for? Well, let me suggest something to you. Uh, We always, we cannot miss that, that prior to his appearance, the Lord's appearance in a dream, the Bible is showing us how loving Solomon is towards God. And I think that's important. But, but not in the way that we might think. We might think that there's a transactional relationship going on here. That if Solomon does this, then God is going to give Solomon a few things. You know, as I do this for you, you do this for me. But that's not how God works. It's not, that, it's not a transactional relationship in that sense. You see, we do not love... You and I, we do not love God. Uh, If we do not love God unreservedly and give ourselves to faithful obedience, then surely the reason for that lack of uh, unreservedness is because of some sin in our hearts. We're holding something back from God. Um, Something that we desire to pursue more. So we'll give some of our lives to God. But there's actually something else that we'd, ra- we'd like to have as well, which kind of knocks God out of the picture for us. And, and so our sin comes in, and it, it hinders our relating to God. And here's the problem with that. Um, so we, this morning we read this verse from Psalm 66, verse 18, as we're uh, reflecting on uh, the, the, the forgiveness of God, remember? We prayed a prayer and then we uh, looked at the assurance. And Psalm sixty-six, eighteen says this, If I had cherished sin in my heart, you would not have listened. So God's ear is not always upon his people if they're sinning. 
We need to understand that. If you're sinning, God is he's, he's not listening to your requests because there's a more important issue that he wants to deal with in our lives. The sin that's holding us back from him. Uh, sin, in some sense, is a hindrance to the Lord's blessing. Or think about Isaiah 59, verse 2, where he speaks about the people of Israel, and he says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, um, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. See, sin has a, this problem where it causes a problem bet- between you and God, and God no longer listens to your prayers in the way that you would like because there's that more important issue to deal with, which is your sin. And now, why is that the case? Why does God cease to hear? Is it like your sin is some sort of kryptonite that causes God's power to suddenly disappear like Superman? You know, Superman. So I feel like Boris Johnson talking about Pepper Pig here. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, kryptonite causes Superman to go to wilt at the knees you know, and become weak. Lose all his powers. Is that your, does your sin do that to God? No, it, of course it doesn't. Um, the problem is that the, the way, what's going on here is that when sin has a grip of one of his people, the Lord's priority for that person is that they deal with the sin, that they mortify the sin before he starts answering all the requests for prayers. And so whenever you uh, seek help from him in prayer, it must include the help to face and repent and kill persistent sins in your life. Otherwise, God is just not going to pay attention to your prayers until that's dealt with. He deals with the penalty of it. So eternally you can be safe, but he does want to, to purge the sin from within you. And sometimes he doesn't hear your prayers. But Solomon is faithful. Uh, and uh, this is what God wants for his people. He wants his people to love the Lord, to walk in his ways, to, to live holy lives. And, um, and we need to know that if we're going to be praying people. That God is generous to his people in all these kinds of ways. Either he's going to help you deal with your sin, or he's, he's, going, to, he's going to bless you in ways that you cannot imagine. But he wants to be generous to you. And he wants to work with you to give you all that you need and want. Um, and so we need to know this as, as praying people. Um, people who don't believe that God is generous are less likely to be people who consistently and persistently pray. Um, so look and see how good he is. Use the scripture to see how good he is. Read your Bible. Uh, fill your boots in your mind with all that it says about God and how good he is. And then, my friends, you will want to pray. And you will want to ask him for more help in all the ways that you need it. That's the generosity of God. Secondly, remember his faithfulness in the past. So verses 6 and 7 uh, spells this out. So when Solomon begins to pray, where does he begin? He doesn't just pile in with an answer to the question, a request. Uh, No, he spends time speaking to God about God. Um, About all the things that he has done in the past that has led to this point. Uh, So Solomon, verse 6, 
said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my my father David. David, my father. Um, So Solomon has learned from the experience of his father David. Now, as we've noticed... David wasn't the, the best father. We've already established that. He wasn't exactly a great dad to Solomon. But Solomon recognizes how God has been at work in his father's life, in David's life. And uh, maybe he's, he's read the Psalms that David has, has been penning through his life. And he's begun to read the experiences that David has had before God and how he's sought God's face and and how God has been faithful to him. And how God has chosen him and helped him and protected him and preserved him while Saul was trying to kill him. How God has made promises to him about the throne that he sits on and how it's going to be preserved forever and so on. And how this promise is being fulfilled uh, now today in Solomon himself and will continue to be fulfilled. So Solomon is reflecting on all that God has done, the faithfulness uh, of God in the past. And this is such an important discipline in prayer that we spend time reflecting all that God has done for us. It's not that God needs reminding of all he's done for us, because he knows, he's done it. (laughs) But it actually helps us primarily. It helps us to remember who he is and all that he's done for us. And so, uh, as we remember all that he's done for us, and we can think about what he's done in scripture, we can think about how he's answered prayers for us in the past, in our personal experience, how he's come to us in amazing ways, perhaps as we have experienced him, and we can reflect all of these things in prayer, and uh, as we do so, our hearts fill up with thankfulness and joy as we come into his presence. And that thankfulness and that joy give us confidence to then be able to ask him for more. So reflecting on his goodness in the past is such an important thing. So remember his generosity. Remember the the manifold ways in which he has been faithful to you. And then thirdly, uh, be concerned about things beyond your personal needs. Be concerned about things beyond your personal needs. Don't put your, your personal needs first in prayer. What do I mean? Why, why, is, why am I saying that? Well, we can see this in the mind of Solomon. Uh, he's risen to this great position of power and authority. He's, he's at the absolute pinnacle of power. Uh, he's king, absolute king. Um, he's not a constitutional monarch. He's an absolute king in some senses. Yes, under God, but uh, above all other people. And, uh, you know, lots of people, when they come to the top of the pyramid, and if it's a very narrow pyramid, like a dictator at the top, you know, what you tend to find with people in that sort of position is not only do they like being in that position at the top, they actually begin to start wanting to accumulate things for themselves. You think of all the dictators in the world that you've maybe heard about, and maybe still living today. And, 
you also hear not only stories of how they're in power, but how they seem to accumulate for themselves treasures and possessions and money and billions and billions and billions for themselves, and they siphon them off into Swiss bank accounts and all the rest of it. You know, this is the kind of thing that happens um, when, there, when there are few checks and balances to your power. You want all the trappings that go with power. You want riches. You want long life. You want victory over enemies. All these kind of things. And uh, all these things you think are what keep you in power and continue to give you security. But that's not the concern of Solomon. You see something of his character in what, what he's concerned about. Because what is he concerned about? He is concerned about his people. The people under his care, the chosen people of God, a great people, a great many people, verse 8. And he is concerned that he has a lack of experience. He is like a child, he says, coming to this position of power and authority. He doesn't know when he's going out or coming in like a baby. (laughs) Babies don't know what they're doing most of the time. Um, But uh, And he is concerned that he would be the kind of king who serve his people well. So verse 9, Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? And I should say, just in passing, so let me digress for a second, as I often do. Um, This is a feeling that many a minister has when he comes into a congregation, perhaps a large congregation. It's a well-established congregation. And uh, you know, he stands there for the first time looking out at all these people and he thinks, how on earth am I going to shepherd all these people? Um, and, and so you start looking to God for the, the abilities that you need to do that. And, and I, I need to say to you, that never leaves you if you're a godly minister. You never feel adequate for the task, but you look to God who is adequate for the task. Now the point about this for us is that it shows that the concern of a true servant of God is not wrapped up in self and my own personal needs, but is primarily concerned about the welfare of the people of God. And it is only concerned about the self to the extent that when one gets answers to requests from God, he or she is better able to serve others with what you've been given for the common good. Now, uh, Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary, he's got a great little book on 1 Kings. Uh, He speaks about this concern as a a right kind of anxiety about the state of the church. Anxiety about the state of the church. Now, you may be troubled by this idea of Christians being anxious. And I've wrestled with this question. Lucy and I were talking about this. Lucy and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, Because, you know, doesn't Jesus say, do not be anxious about your life? Uh, Luke chapter six, uh, Matthew chapter 6 um, or Paul says to the Philippians do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God but don't be anxious about anything so we seem to have these instructions from Jesus and from the apostles don't be anxious about anything isn't that sinful then to be anxious, have a, an anxiety for the church well here's the pro- here's the the thing you need to bear in mind. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, so he lists all his, the ways in which he's suffering as a, an apostle. 
You know, he's been flogged and beaten and imprisoned and shipwrecked and, and all kinds of things. And then at the end, he says, and in addition to all that, the daily pressure of, uh, on me of my anxiety for all the churches, that to be an apostle was to have an anxiety for the state of the churches uh, under his care that he had planted and he was visiting in his missionary journeys and you know, coming to God with this anxiety about the state of the church. Now, how do we reconcile this? Uh, don't be anxious about anything. And why is Paul being anxious about the church? Well, I think it's this, that the, the anxiety that causes us to be troubled can take us away from God. It can t- turn us into ourselves. We no longer look to God for help. But there's a right kind of anxiety that drives you to your knees to pray for the state of the church. And Paul seems to accept that as part of his Christian life. To be anxious about the state of the church and for that anxiety to drive you to pray and seek God's help uh, for the work that he has to do. Having this concern for the people of God then ought to be central for us as Christians before we start thinking about ourselves. Isn't it interesting that the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, The Lord's Prayer, which is not intended to be merely a form of words that we rattle off, but actually is supposed to give us a shape to our prayers. That prayer is first of all concerned with the glory of God, hallowed be thy name. Uh, It's concerned about the advancement of of the kingdom of God, your kingdom come. And uh, it's a And the concern of the prayer is that the the glory of God be reflected in the people. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's all about God and his kingdom and his people. Before it ever gets to you and asking for daily bread. And all your personal needs. And that tells us something about the heart and true goal of, uh, of Christian praying. True Christian praying. That first of all it looks outside of ourselves to the kingdom of God, to the glory of God, and praise for the state of the people of God, that God might be glorified. And you and I, we should be praying for those things. Uh, You should be praying for your elders who need wisdom to shepherd people better, those people under their care. And I covet your prayers for us as elders. Here's Here's the fourth thing. The goal of our praying is to, please, is to please God. The goal of our praying is to please God. In verse 10 we see the, the, the response of the Lord to Solomon's request. Verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And he explains why he is pleased. Because you have, verse 11, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding how to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Um, God gives Solomon what he asks. And Solomon must, of course, continue to walk in God's ways, uh, to continue in that wisdom, which is, which is reasonable, isn't it? You know, you've got to keep being faithful to God. Wisdom is not the kind of gift that remains intact even though you may drift from God. 
You know, how can you expect to be continuing wisdom if you drift away from God and start believing something else, perhaps, or trusting something else? How can you still expect to be wise? You know, if you neglect the word of God in your life, don't be surprised if you begin to think and act like a fool. Let me blunt, be blunt. But this is what we should be concerned about in our praying, in our worshipping, in our living, that we seek to please God. And friends, those of us who have, who have or have, have had children um, have a sense of that. When your child comes to you asking for something and that thing seems like a good thing to you as a parent, it pleases you that your child is asking for the right things, the good things. And you're only too pleased to do what you can to give it. And you, you as the giver get pleasure from the request And this is what God is trying to communicate to us. They're asking well before God pleases God. God is pleased with good requests. He is pleased with faithful worship. He is pleased with Christians who are concerned for the church and for his glory. He is pleased with Christians who want to resist sin and see it purged from their lives. He's pleased with all of that. And this is what's so this is what Solomon asks for, wisdom. And he got it in spades, uh, at least at the beginning of his life. <laughs> as we'll see, as he comes towards the end, it's not so, such a good story. But, uh, and we see this illuminated in the, this event that takes place in verses 16 to 28. That through his wisdom, he is able to detect which of these two squabbling women is the actual mother of this child. And he he adopts a risky strategy to our eyes, doesn't he? Get a sword, and let's divide the child in two. I mean, (laughs) mean, you you think I'd I'd gone off my rocker if I said something like that. But when somebody's in power, you kind of just go with it. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, it's a pretty gruesome idea, isn't it? would he have actually have done it? Probably not. We don't know. The story doesn't tell us. But these women believed that he might. Or at least one of them believed that he might. He might do it. And after all, he's absolute king, so he can do as he likes. So one of them believes, at least, that he is going to do it. And it's this threat that actually draws out the response of the true mother to this child. That uh, she wanted the child to live even if it meant handing the child over to this other woman. I'd rather have him live than have be divided in two. So risky, but amazingly wise. And uh, as a man, I think, who paid attention to the maternal instinct of women. Amazing insight that a man in that position of power might have. He pays attention to his people under his care. What a marvelous thing. Well, let me move on to the last point. And uh, let me point out something else about the whole chapter. Let me just kind of draw things together. You see, Solomon uh, and his wisdom points to something beyond himself. He is not just there by himself, as it were. But there was, of course, another to come. Someone who is both a servant and 
a king. And I want you to, uh, to listen to me as I read from Proverbs chapter, uh, sorry, Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, prophetic writing. Uh, chapter 11 and verse 2 or verse 1 there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. The righteous shall be the belt of his wa- righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now that's a prophetic writing about the stump of Jesse. Who is the stump of Jesse? The Lord Jesus Christ. Full of the spirit of wisdom. Full of uh, a God-given wisdom. And he has now come. And he is the one of whom the apostles taught. That he is our wisdom as we mentioned early on. Christ is our wisdom as we receive him in the gospel. He becomes our wisdom. And Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 3, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, Solomon is a prefiguring of a greater than Solomon. In every way that Solomon was great, Jesus Christ is greater. So however wise Solomon was, and he didn't persist in his wisdom, we'll find out. There is a greater one who is indeed wisdom. And persists in wisdom into all eternity. The Lord Jesus Christ. He, God, put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Ephesians 1 verse 22. This king is our king and he is full of wisdom and he is for the church he is for us and so we come to him to seek wisdom he is the infinitely wise king over his people and for his people and that means that you and I we can rest easy in his kingdom he knows how to to rule he knows how to judge he knows how to make right judgments we are in good hands he has a A hearing heart of wisdom. He listens. He knows what you're like. Just as Solomon grasped the maternal instincts of one of these two women, so he grasps our instincts in all kinds of ways for each one of us. He has that hearing heart that understands us. He makes all kinds of right judgments for us so that his people will be blessed. And as we are in him, He imparts his wisdom to us. Will you not seek him? And will you not seek his wisdom in the days to come? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this marvelous story of Solomon. And uh, we thank you that he was so blessed with wisdom. We thank you that he is um, 
a shadow of the, the reality that was to come in Jesus Christ. And we pray that as we look at these characters in the Old Testament, that we see how they prefigure the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that our hearts are drawn out to him. And help us, we pray, to, to live in the light of his, his love for us and his faithfulness to us, and help us to ask rightly for the things that we need. Help us to have a concern for your glory and for the kingdom of God. We pray in Jesus' name.